This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Some cult churches around the world have been trained to ignore this failed prophecy. But for the home church of Jeffersonville, Indiana, the tent prophecy is still considered to be in the lineup of things that are to be. You see, the people in Jeffersonville actually take the scriptural stand behind their faith a wee bit more than the other churches. Because they realize that just one single failed prophecy would deem their leader, William Marion Branham, a false prophet. And the Bible is very clear, instructing us to watch for false prophets that will rise to deceive. Deuteronomy 18, 20-22 But the prophet who will speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And you say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken, which has not spoken? It says this, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and the thing does not come about or come true, that key word, true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it, presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy 18, 20-22 But while the scripture instructs us to inspect the prophecies, and after inspecting, having found one to fail, we're not just told to ignore that prophecy. We are told to ignore that prophet. Yet people are still trapped in the clutches of fear. Other churches ignore this prophecy altogether. Some churches ignore this prophecy and teach that only the statements that William Branham said with, Thus saith the Lord, are the ones that we should test. All other prophecies were just presumptuous words. But what they do not realize is that the tent vision, one of the prophecies that never came to pass, was actually wrapped with the Thus Saith the Lord seal upon it. Branham said this in 
1956. One of these days, I want to pitch a tent that the Lord's going to give me, right outside this side of Chicago. Those things are not mythical. In contact with the Holy Spirit, when I come under His anointing, and He takes me away and shows me things, shows me things, I just got perfect confidence. That's exactly right, because it's never failed. And he will never say one thing outside of what's written in his Bible. That's right. You watch it. Through the years, he's never said one thing at any time unless it was absolutely scripturally based on the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. Shepherd of the Sheepfold, Chicago. 1956, 0403, look it up. And this was clearly des described as a vision, make no mistake. 1956, 0421, later that same month, after we get the gospel tent, we'll have a morning service so that people can attend their own church. That's the reason, reason that by a vision, the Lord has showed me to get this big tent. What Visions Are is the title, 1956-0421. Look it up. <laughs> Some of you have never seen, never heard of this. And I'm sure you're asking yourself, how does Jeffersonville still stand behind this failed prophecy? All the while knowing for certain that this vision never came to pass. The answer will shock many of you. Jeffersonville is the headquarters. Jeffersonville is the headquarters of this cult. What comes out of Jeffersonville is the word from Mecca. And many churches around the world follow this. Missionaries, many of you know who are from Jeffersonville, and they've never mentioned this. The only way that you can support an unfulfilled prophecy, one that came from a prophet who is long dead and gone, is to bring him back to life. Many of you are thinking, oh, that makes sense. We'll all rise in the resurrection anyway. <laughs> but stop and consider what you're thinking. Bringing a prophet back from the dead with the resurrection would agree with Scripture. But let's consider the events of when our Lord returns. 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now that's a real vision. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And listen to this order of events that Paul gives. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet, the trumpet of God. And it says next, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then it says, Then we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet our Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. 
Now this still sounds reasonable to the mind that's been programmed with cult theology. Branham promoted himself as the last trumpet. But let's examine this just a little closer. Notice that the Lord himself comes, not a prophet. And notice that the dead in Christ do rise first, but notice they do not remain with the people who are here alive and remaining. Those that remain are carried up to be with those that have already gone on. This creates a huge problem. Cult churches around the world know this, and so they avoid this tent ministry doctrine like the plague. To place Branham into this situation would be to add to scriptures, inserting a resurrection before the resurrection. And while the tent ministry doctrine comes from headquarters, it is not widely accepted in the cult. Many members in the Branham cult do not even know that this particular doctrine even exists. When preachers start changing the scriptures, you'll notice that they can't change just one. The scriptures are interconnected. All scriptures flowing together with the force of a raging river. To change one scripture, you must change a hundred others. After changing those, you're forced to change a thousand more. Eventually, you've rewritten the book. To say that Branham will be numbered in the resurrection would not present so much of a problem had he repented. But to place him into human flesh would be to deny his heavenly body, the new body that the dead in Christ are to receive. So to promote the coming tent ministry, after having been dead, you have to stop preaching entire sections of Corinthians. Take Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 as an example. And I love this section. It's incredibly funny when it starts out. Paul actually rebukes somebody who starts thinking about zombies. <laughs> it says this, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? He says, you foolish person. <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kennel, perhaps a wheat or some other time of grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. But not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Listen to this. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So we have first established this, that the heavenly body is completely different than the earthly body. No questions asked. Let's continue. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. Let me repeat. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable? What is raised imperishable? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. 
Listen, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was taken from earth, a man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As it was the man of the dust, so also are those that are of the dust. And as it is of the man of the heavens, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the dust, we shall also bear the image of heaven. Can you see a pattern here? Earth, heaven, earth, heaven. <laughs> I can see a few jaws dropping right now. Houston, we have a problem. Paul told us, he just said, and you read it with me, when we receive our heavenly bodies, our heavenly bodies, and this just broke two fundamental message teachings. The first one, we just took Branham out of his flesh for this return ministry. Why does he need an airplane that is right now laying in a field collecting rust? How will he stand behind, before us behind the platform preaching those seven thunders, the ones that he never preached when he was alive? How will he preach that Clarence Larkin sermon, Trail of the Serpent? The first problem is big enough to make most Christians get up and walk out of the service. They'd never sit through something that so strongly disagrees with their Bibles. Especially nonsense about sitting in a hot sweat box of a tent in this day and age. They just leave this place and quickly find some church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the second problem is bigger. Remember how you change one scripture, you have to change others to match. The same thing happens with any lie. One lie leads to another, and pretty soon you find yourself questioning everything. What we're doing here is examining things in chronological order. Something that I recommend everyone do with William Branham's ministry. You'll find, you'll quickly start to see how things start to grow and grow over time. Many times growing into visions that were never fulfilled. fulfilled. The tent vision. It was not always a vision. If you examine what he says about the coming tent, it starts out more of a pipe dream. Branham started begging the people to buy him a tent in 1953. It was a time when the other big names in the divine healing movement all had tents. He didn't have one. He begged. He pleaded. But he could not muster up enough donations, and he spent the rest on hunting trips. It did not even turn into a prophecy until April of 1956. And those of you who have studied this prophecy know about that little room in the tent where you receive your new bodies. But that little addition is a problem. He knew it. But he knew it too late. It was already recorded. It was already spread all around the country. What can he do now? Now the people know that they're given human flesh. When the scriptures tell us that we receive spirit bodies. Like I said, when you change one scripture, you have to keep changing them. 
Remember that vision that Branham started to claim to have in 1957, the one where he looked beyond the curtain of time and saw the souls resting. This was brilliant. It was all part of the plan. It started with very simple statements. But notice where it ended up. That story of that little old lady that he once knew suddenly was given the body of a 20-year-old. She was given an earthly body in this vision, not a heavenly one. Friends, it does not stop there. If you want to see just how many changes that he made to support this one single failed prophecy, start reading your Bible. Compare it to the doctrines that you've been raised with. All trails of twisted scripture lead to one place, presumptuous prophecy. Branham wanted to be the hero. He wanted to be the one who gave the people their new bodies, leading them into that little room of his little tent. He wanted to be the judge, telling people that, he, that they will face him at the judgment if they do not live by his dress code. He wanted to be the judge. But today I'm going to tell you who the real hero is. And the story does not revolve around some little tent that won't even hold the two to four million people around the world in this cult of William Branham. I'm not going to tell you some fictional story that will start making you change scriptures to support. But I am going to tell you a vision. And it was not one that was invented with some devious purpose. This is a vision from John. But not this John. This is a vision from John the Revelator. It's found in Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for all the former things have passed away. <clears throat> and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment, not by the works you do. The one who conquers this will conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, moral sorcerers, idolaters, listen to this, and all liars. Their portion will be taken, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then he talks about the New Jerusalem. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great high mountain 
and showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, and having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a high great wall, twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the apostles of the Lamb. We're still in Revelation 21. Notice where the angel carried John. Not to some flowing pasture. Not to a bunch of people in bodies of flesh that are 20 years old. The angel took John to the holy city. Descended from heaven. And I'm sure that that last bit bothered Branham. The names of the 12 apostles were on that foundation to that city, not seven angels from some seven church ages. John continues, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure its city and its walls. The city lies foursquare, and its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width are equal. He measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper and the city of gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, second sapphire, third agate, fourth emerald, fifth onyx, sixth carnelian, seventh crystallite, eighth beryl, ninth topaz, tenth chrysophase, eleventh jacinth, twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Friends, <laughs> this place will hold you, all of you. You won't have to worry and dread about fitting in some little tent, a little tiny tent of Branham. This place is huge. There are 607 feet in a stadia. A stadia would be 7,284,000 feet, which is 1,380 miles. Multiply that by another 1,380 miles to get the square feet, and you have a massive place. Quit worrying about whether you're saved all because of the sin in your lives, that there might only be eight souls that make it. Christ has given all who believe in his name eternal life. And he has built a house that is big enough to hold everyone. John continues, And I saw no temple in that city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, nor will, will no night be there. So they're always open. He says, They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean shall enter, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Let me repeat that. Nor anyone who does anything detestable or false, but only those 
who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's that last part that bothers me. Nothing false will enter. We have a false prophet. We have a false vision. We have false scriptural teaching, all because of that false vision. We have a false religion. We have people who have based their faith on fictional stories that have now been proven false. Aren't you glad that you've been awakened? Aren't you glad that you've realized that we don't have to fear this false prophet? Aren't you glad that your names are counted with God's chosen? Aren't you glad that through the blood of the Lamb, you and I can be saved? Aren't you thankful that God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins? Thankful that He came and He lived the perfect life. He bore your sins on the cross, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and He rose again so that we can rise with Him. And aren't you thankful that we can sit in nice air conditioning rooms now instead of hot, sweaty tents? Thank you.